The Revision Speaker Series is a Guildhouse initiative bringing together creative minds from around the globe to discuss contemporary arts practice. Revision has been curated as a COVID response, enhancing connectivity, sustainability and well-being across the arts community. This podcast is an audio recording from a live Zoom session recorded on Ghana Country. Radical practice. We're nearly at the end of 2022 and what a year, what a few years we've all had. Many of us are at a point where self-care, community care have become priorities more so than ever before. This shouldn't be radical, but reinventing or reinforcing how we care or communicate can be. Guided by Raylene Forrester, who co-leads Fine Print, a platform that gives space to critical conversations within arts practice, we will join a conversation centred around community pride, working collaboratively and the ethos of arts making. Please welcome Raylene with Artists Leading with Radical Practice, Elia Salave, Dr. Ali Gamalia-Baker and Lara Tilbrook. It is a pleasure to be spending time with you all today to discuss artistic practice in its more radical forms, whether that's small or large. And I want to take this opportunity to thank Guildhouse for creating this um, event and giving us this platform, this space to sort of share and discuss these ideas, particularly in such wet weather and making the coal for it to be indoors. It's, as I said to the panellists a bit earlier, it's hard to say no to things, but sometimes I guess part of personal values is knowing where your boundaries are and being struck by lightning has now turned into one of mine. So <laughs> we're very grateful for um, having this recording instead and hopefully more people will be able to engage with this session than um, perhaps who would have been able to if it was out, staged outdoors. Um, I too want to acknowledge and show respect to the Ghana people and our First Nations guests here today, who are the custodians of the ancestral lands that we're hosting this event on. I acknowledge the deep relationship of the Ghana people to country, including the land, sea and rivers we are surrounded by. I want to introduce this amazing panel, how lucky we are to be sharing this space together. Elia Salavi is an Afghan-born Hazara interdisciplinary artist and poet who works across painting, sculpture, performance and moving image. Elias is interested in exploring trauma, memory, gender, sexuality and social and political crisis through his work. His most recent curatorial project was titled Timeless and included the works of 15 international and Australian artists presented at the Hawke Centre as part of Sala 2022. Dr. Ali Gamilia Baker is a meaning woman, an academic filmmaker, visual and performance artist who has grown up on Ghana country. Her most recent project with Unbound Collective and a number of First Nations collaborators is titled Reflect, Light and Shade of a Long Story. It was awarded winner of Indigenous Project at Museum and Galleries National Awards at the Australian Museums and Galleries Association 2022 Conference. Lara Tilbrook. Its practice is fundamentally grounded in environmentalism, deep listening and change making at its core. Her most recent project, Harbingers, Care and Catastrophe, commissioned by Country Arts SA and Murray Bridge Regional Gallery, will tour throughout 2023 and 2024. So welcome to this incredible panel. I'm so excited to be sharing this uh, time with you today. Um, we've been brought together by, Build, by Guildhouse to talk about our ethos or values in art making and our relationship to community and collaboration. But 
Firstly, I want to position this under the important banner of care ethics and to look at this term radical. The 14th century Latin term meaning root and hinges on the meaning of relating to or proceeding from a root. When discussing care structures, institutions and forms of practice, we're entering into a range of fields, including environmental ethics, alternative economic models, deep listening, mental health, disability, advocacy, and more. By centering or rooting care at the core of our politics and practice, we're able to rethink dominant narratives about contemporary art and to cultivate a kind of openness and responsiveness we need to safely recognise our social relationality. So in speaking of values, we're speaking of care work, caring for materiality and matter as an expression for caring for the world, caring for the archive as a way of caring for stories and histories, and caring for practice itself as a form of creativity. So it's an extremely large task and would take up most of the day, but we only have an hour. So to make this more interesting and for me as a facilitator to try to stay on time, um, the panel and I decided to focus on just three words, which is a bit of a strategy which we use at Fine Print. Um, it's about trying to provide a lot with very little, which I think in terms of being an artist is probably exactly what all of us do all of the time. <laughs> um, we're going to unpack three terms. The terms are value, knowledge and land. And we can, I don't know, we could either go term by term or maybe just swim around all of them at once. There, um, there are radical roots in all of these terms. It's an interconnected system of meanings. But what we'll try to do is base this in our personal experiences or work that we've, um, work that we've experienced um, or been affected by. So I guess to start, if we started with the term value, which obviously is a highly charged, a very loaded kind of term, but personal and collective values, I feel... Um, can be the guiding kind of thread throughout what we do. So I'm wondering if there are some examples or some works or what is it that guides you when you work? Lara, would you like to start us off? I'd like to acknowledge that we're here on the beautiful land of the Ghana people and that I live and work on Ghana, Narindiri and Naranga country. The foundation of my work is really giving a voice to yep. country. Um, yeah, so with that, collaborating with other, other community that's caring for country, um, different issues that might be going on. We're still in recovery mode from the 2019-20 wildfires and the prescribed burns, the back burning was a big part of that as well. So it's huge. It's, yeah, it's been a huge three years. So how to instill care into the community and create a voice and a real understanding of what's happening on ground. You know, people look at the country, they think it's growing back and the recovery is happening, but there's so much work to do on country. The wrong species are thriving 
and the country is calling to be reunited with its people. And that connection to land and working on land is something that Ali, the project that you mentioned um, for this um, short biography that I mentioned, Reflect, is a kind of work that takes um, a river system and speaks to collaboration with many different First Nations people. Can you talk a bit about that project and the kind of values within that work that are in Unbound's kind of ethos? Sure. I just want to acknowledge uh, the beautiful Ghana country here and this women's place here going out onto the peninsula there and, you know, the important birthing places just here generationally of Aboriginal women. And, I, you know, when I was thinking about coming here again and even though it's been a very wild day, I was uh, thinking about where my grandmother was born, which is um, a place, it's called Fowler's Bay now, the, the white term for the place, but there's 10 metre high sand dunes that go kilometres kind of across and back from the beach and they're just these incredible um, huge sand dunes at Fowler's Bay and my grandmother was born in, in the sand dunes behind and she would have had her own, my great-grandmother, you know, would have had a, her own midwife there. They would have built a wheelchair just for my grandmother's birth and I often think about this idea of um, being on country and, you know, and this incredible vulnerability that happens when you when life comes or when people pass away. So I just want to honour this country, but also in thinking about, I guess, the relationship to place and to value. Um, part of what the work that Unbound has been doing for a long time is kind of thinking about how we use our storytelling voices. And, you know, we've all studied different practices, you know, performative, filmmaking, visual art, you know. Uh, we've also all teachers, so we all have ed- been educating thousands of students at the university for a long time now. And I was really, really interested in what. how do we talk about what is important, you know, what Lara was talking about. How do we talk about and talk about things that haven't been spoken about or need to be spoken about in ways that, are generative and offer possibilities for how communities might think about their own agency in relation to that, but also about justice. And I was thinking about Bell Hooks this morning and, you know, there's this famous quote of hers where she said, if we want a beloved community, we have to stand for justice. And I feel as though fundamental to our work is about justice for country, but also justice for people. And, you know, in our communities there's a lot of uh, very recent histories that haven't been recorded as part of the public narrative and these are kind of only just being shared now. So, you know, the, the value for us was really about thinking about Unbound is really about this idea of what about life can't be contained, cannot be, you know, what about who we are as communities, as people, as beings, as as fellow living on this, you know, this beautiful planet. What about it can't be contained and is ephemeral and in a sense but needs to almost be activated, you know. So we were interested in how we could activate stories on in particular place and change our relationship to that story because there's uh, so uh, thinking about 
grief or love in the landscape as something that you could witness that changed the way you thought about what had happened there? That kind of storytelling or truth-telling can be really difficult and, you know, you're using sensitive material that is to do with either your personal family's history, other people's families and that kind of, yeah, that kind of storytelling needs to be told but can be so difficult at the same time. Elias, you had a um, work here actually for a fine print project of ours um, in 2020 that was in the wash house. And yeah, Ali, when you talk about that, yeah, that kind of relationality between like recognising the site's history, but it's also its, its current usage. Yeah, these things are kind of like they're not linear. You kind of need to look horizontally as well at that, at that whole scope. Elias, with your practice, obviously there is so much to build on that can be quite hurtful, can be quite beautiful as well. How do you navigate the value of like working with that sort of material but protecting yourself as well? Yeah, I also would like to acknowledge the, the, the Ghana people and pay my respect to the Ghana people. Yeah, as you mentioned, that work, um, which was shown here, which was uh, based on a poem I wrote uh, 10 years ago, but then that poem picked up by, by people uh, and they were used in, um, especially they were used as a, as a slogans and also people wrote that poems on, on, on the walls. And then the next day, it will be erased by the authority. Even that was in Farsi language, and it was mostly talking with, with people in Afghanistan and Iran, but showing in Ghana land here, I feel, you know, there is that, that shared uh, stories of, you know, those communities, we shared so, so many stories, you know, in terms of experience of displacement, experience of, you know, for myself as a member of the Hazara minority, uh, an, an ethnic minority originally from Afghanistan, which we experienced genocide and it still continues until now. And that's, that's the reason people like myself ended up coming to Australia, mostly by, by uh, you know, by accident. I ended up coming here, but then my siblings are, are in, in so many other countries, you know, in Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, Sweden, France. And I feel how through my practice, it may directly uh, link to, to certain communities, but it has connections, especially with the, um, with the First Nations here and another level. And in terms of value, what I what is very important for me is like, I think anyone who's working with communities or, or their works has um, those elements of community um, engagement. It's so important to be honest and to be, you know, um, the integrity is very important and how to, you know, be genuine and, you know, spend enough time um, with, with community. So I feel... Sometimes there is like trends of, um, uh, for example, in 2015 we, when we had the big migration wave from Middle East and also um, North Africa to Europe, there was lots of conversation about uh, displacement, about refugee experience. And there was, in, 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 in one year, there was lots of artworks made about that topic. But then after one year, like literally it's all it's just like no one talk about it anymore 
as if like those problems are already solved, as if as if those more than 100 million people are no longer displaced, which I feel that trending, I have like, I have, I have problem with that and how if we talk about Australia and also Adelaide, we also seeing that. Uh, I feel like there's sometimes art institutions and, and galleries, they, they follow a trend and, but but then just literally move on so quickly and and it's not um yeah that's like i think that's really really important to yeah that integrity is very important and and also sometimes we can talk about it later but also like you know i feel the profiting is another part like how working with with communities then along the line you realize actually for some it's more about the profiting not about really there's not that genuine um, connection. Before the sessions began, I reread an article by Rihanna Head Toussaint, who is a Sydney-based artist. She's a crip artist, works in access abled and disabled spaces, and she wrote an essay about radical care because, you know, when we talk about this upswell or this, because language is everything, right? Like language is what's guiding um, a lot of... Um, political change. Um, And yeah, something that stood out for me, she said, I don't think many institutions would be comfortable with being called extremists because a long time radical was connected to extremism, right? But they do seem to like to be called radical. I think perhaps what they are trying to signal when they use the word is that they they are striving for something more. And yeah, there's this kind of, um, this idea of like, that sort of optimistic good and and wanting to sort of see change appear. But, you know, the work kind of lies in all of us, right? And I guess when we discuss like this term of value, it's immeasurable. And so when institutions are very extractive about that, I guess it's, yeah, it's... um. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm going with this, but it's a very tricky sort of space. And yeah, the terms that we use are really, yeah, quite sort of loaded. But um, I think from the first panel um, today, there was definitely a consensus about the strength in generosity and listening, that deep listening. And it seemed as if a lot of examples were put in putting care into time and valuing time. Lara, your work is definitely about trying to bring about change in in really substantial sort of ways for the environment and working with communities. Do you want to just sort of speak to how that works in the kind of machines of institutions and gallery spaces perhaps? Yeah, I think um, having to keep retelling my story and re-traumatising um, the events that we bear witness to as we were on ground during the wildfires... Um, out northwest, Carter, Kangaroo Island. I was looking for kind of a regenerative way to um, support country but also move forward and tell my story and um, through a performative process of caring for country, I have been using the waste material to then dye um, into wool and create sculpture and installation Through that process, I've spent hours connecting and building relationships and viewing the landscape in a new way, which 
has been really healing. The landscape's totally changed and been through a series of changes. Initially, it was black and white, and that is very reminiscent in a sign um, from Harbinger's care or catastrophe. So it's a, you know, it really reflects what I could see in the landscape. And over time, there has been regeneration, but it's how to shape the landscape and ensure that there is care and guidance from traditional owners. So we've been working with Fire Sticks Alliance, led by Victor Stephenson. So under guidance, I have been caring for the landscape and preparing um, for cultural burning, which I believe is the key to adapting for climate change. I guess this moves into knowledge really well because this, you know, it's all about deep listening and learning. And Ali, for you as a teacher, that sharing of knowledge must be taxing (laughs) at times as well. But um, could you talk about some of the strategies or the, the kind of elements of knowledge that are that's important to your practice? I think, you know, part of what Lara was talking about in relation to this uh, re-traumatisation of particular stories that need to be told and then how, how do we tell them in the moment? And then there's something about fixing something, it loses its power, its resonance over time. Some things don't. Like powerful pieces of artwork, some of them resonate for a very, very long time because they're speaking, they kind of hit a note of truth that has has meaning for a really long time for community. So, I mean, that's the kind of the power of an artist really, isn't it, to be able to, or groups of artists, to be able to activate those stories in different kinds of ways. And I think that... Um, the work that we do teaching about very violent histories, very recent, very violent histories of kind of colonialism, settler colonialism in this country and the impact of the ongoingness of colonial institutions and the attempted erasure of our our voices, our agency within those stories has been a big part of my working life. I'd, I didn't imagine when I was young that I would, end up in that space but in some ways it's been inevitable because it's the most important work that needs to happen for for our communities in the university is that we need to teach our histories to the broader community because they don't know them and there's been a deliberate omission of that of those histories right so either we tell them or people just live we we're living in a place where we are looked upon like strangers in our own land and we are not understood by the people who have come. And so, you know, and, and it's not that, it's a very complicated relationship. Like within my family I have uh, colonisers and co- the colonised, but I've got a very strong Aboriginal woman line. Like my matriarchal line is Aboriginal women and I've been raised by these very political people. So I, I really encourage people to be, have informed views about a wide range of things. They, people need to engage in using their voice, in speaking about if you're waiting for someone else to talk about what is important that you can see going on in the world, you need to be that person who's speaking up and speaking out about that. And I really encourage 
all of the students that we educate to have informed views about politics, about the environment, about a wide range of things. And I ask them to think about what does peaceful radical change look like? Because mm. often radical change is violent. Mm. It is a war or a bomb or it is a fire or a flood. It is something that is so drastic that we have no choice, right? But in some ways, peaceful radical change can be within self and within community. We can agree to change, change the way we speak, change the way we, what we are valuing, change, and we can do that. And those radical shifts can happen. And we've seen it. We've seen it happen. We saw it happen during COVID. People couldn't imagine changing their lives and they changed them. Really overnight, they changed them. So I feel as though that that is a possibility always, but whether or not it's hard for me sometimes to kind of feel as though the kind of power relationships that you see going on and the and the emission of particular forms of kind of honouring that need to happen, I, I you know, I yearn for that. And that kind of deep listening and recognition and, yeah, being informed is that's where all the work and all the, the real kind of um, value is is sitting in in those those moments and yeah. in those spaces of just engaging with practices that are unfamiliar to you or reading, yeah, just like a well, reading, really broad range yeah. of, yeah, like... Reading yeah. your history is like reading yes. the history of this violent history, like the colonial archive, reading that is horrible. It's a horrible thing to have to read, right? And it's damaging, it's deeply traumatising and it's deeply traumatising to try and teach about it. So the way that we did it was collectively and through art practice. So we offer some beauty, some, there has to be some redemption in the story or people mm. cannot, it's almost like you can't, it's an impossible story. These are ungrievable truths. We can't grieve them properly because they're so, what's happened has been so evil or so wrong or so profoundly unjust. It's, it's almost impossible to contemplate it. So then how do you tell that story to young people? And you don't. I'm worried about everyone's mental health because everyone in the classroom, a lot of those young people, I don't assume, don't have really vulnerable lives, right? So we have to, we can't assume about anyone, but you want to think about how can we gently help each other engage with the difficult weight bearing that is knowing about hard things, like it actually is community work, collectively understanding what's happened. Because when everyone understands it, then there's deep understanding, isn't there? You know. Yeah. In the um, Purumpa Symposium um, that you're in, Ali, you used a term collective weight bearing, that it is like it's, yeah, so much of it is sort of shared, but that unfortunate commonality can actually somehow strengthen and give you some resolve to keep going because it is shared with so many other people and I guess it's we need to find more spaces to voice it or is it that the fact that the the knowledge isn't being communicated enough in in multiple sort of spaces like Elias in your work do you feel as though what you are teaching or what you are sharing do you feel as if you're still sort of saying it for the first time 
to many people or is there starting to be this kind of that this is a learned kind of truth? Just going to, you know, follow up what uh, Ali mentioned, um, how, you know, through art you, you're talking about those very difficult story, histories and, and stories. I think it's, it's yeah, quite similar to me as well, how you, we feel like we need to talk about it because it's just a way of, you know, to especially sharing that to the, to the next generations and, and to, to kind of saying what's happened to us and, and, and what happened before. But also, you, but we feel that responsibility as well and how to, how to make, you know, one, one part of the history, how to keep it always alive that, look, this injustice happened through art. I think it's the medium, you know, it has that power to just literally visualize it to, to not only to, your, to people who experienced that, that incident, but also to the broader community. And I do exactly uh, feel the same, like right now what's happening, for example, in, in Iran, where um, people uh, brutally uh, getting killed just because they shared something on their Instagram or they went to the streets. In some incidents, like people by like um, using the the car horn, by that they got shot. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there's so many incidents of this, and so far the government says, so far we've been we've been nice to you. We didn't mm-hmm. we didn't use the force. Already, like more than 300 people got killed the last um, 50 days. But some of those images been like been taken and out and. And yeah, you can write, you can write, you know, um, articles and news and that. But then, some of those artworks made about the about, for example, the last 50, 50 days in Iran, and some of those poems and some of those, um, you know, um, um, exhibitions already, um, um, uh, you know, already shown. I think those are the ones that can, you know, can, can can literally deliver to the next generation saying what happened, you know, what happened to this and how this is a, this is a way for the community to digest what's happening. And, 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 you know, so it's just like a, yeah, for that, there's that connection, but, but what you mentioned about how for the, for, for a number of years, I'm, I'm working a lot about topics of memory and, and displacement and, Especially like it's a very autobiographical um, experience. Talking a lot about my my own self, my myself, and my family experience, which is which which happened to be quite similar to many millions of people from my my land. I feel, yeah, by each time telling it and and talk about it in in a place like Australia, it is um, it is very important to. I remember five ten years ago. The word Hazara were not really known, but now um, recently we had this campaign called a sub Hazara genocide, and for the first time actually it's been been used a lot by by many many other people outside Afghanistan, which is very important, and and, and we really need that support because that genocide is literally is continuing until now, and every every week um, our people. Especially at the schools were targeted. The last time was was literally three three weeks ago, where they they went to a school, uh, uh, mostly a, a girl school, 
and killed like 40 people and injured like 80 people and just because they don't want us to 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 be educated you know they they saying we don't want you to you know to have the education we don't want you to have to gain that knowledge and and i think given we living so far away but there's so much connection between what's happening there the contribution of australia being in afghanistan for 20 years and also and also it goes long back to the um, you know to the first genocide happened, the big one happened in, in 1890 until 1910. And that was very supported by the, by the um, uh, you know, United, United Kingdom back then, and, and which, is, which, which obviously we have the similarity with what happened in Australia. What I'm saying is like, it's so important to keep talking about those, um, those, um, those stories. And, and I also want to add that how knowledge is to me is like it's not just based on the you know traditional setting of you need to even you graduated from a university then you're like you gained knowledge you're knowledgeable now it's more through the people the experience of people especially my curatorial projects i worked with artists whom they they may not never been to an art school but i i feel like they're really really amazing um poets or, or 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 artists which their life um their life their life journey is 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 there's so much knowledge there also i worked in mental health for five years and which i feel there's so much we lack a lot on how to bridging uh, those community with with the with the so-called mainstream art scene and how Absolutely. to you know um there's been a really great um uh, conversation with Pop Gallery in Port Adelaide, where, where there will be an art, there will be an art, one one a solo exhibition next year, which uh, one of the artists that I was I, I worked with him is going to exhibit there. And I think because Pop Gallery they know them really well, as we run lots of workshops in that space, that's why they give the opportunity. But I feel artists like him, which is going to show next year, it's. It should show in in art galleries. In, in it should show in our art gallery in, in in Adelaide and other places. But we're kind of lacking that um, that how to bridge that that parts of you know you don't need to have certain education or certain connection. Then you'll be able to share what you mm. what you have. A lot of the learning that I feel as if I'm experiencing now is not coming from academia anymore and it's like sitting in spaces like this or in conversation with other artists or just witnessing, like I think of, like Fine Print's latest issue, Monologues, is a response to Ryan Presley's exhibition at ACE and Nat Harkin, an unbound sister of yours, Ali, there were some beautiful poetic video poetry responses that were filmed in the space and the day that we filmed was the day after the Queen had died and I was driving into the city and all the flags were half-masts, like the Aboriginal flag was half-masted and there was this energy in the room as Nat was talking, as Thomas Reddit was speaking about black power, you know, and now the, the world... You know, there's thunder for this podcast. There is thunder going right now. The world is literally telling us black power. There was something about witnessing it, uh, witnessing 
um, them talk about owning black power um, in relation to that exhibition, but on a day that was like, you know, the colonial hand was coming back in, it felt, yeah, really problematic and much larger than all of us. But I felt this incredible, you know, we had a lot of discussions that day about what was going on around us. And I learned a lot from just witnessing that. And that I don't think I could get from any academic book. It's, you know, it's those lived experiences and people sharing their lived experiences in relation to, you know, what was happening so bizarrely in real time. Lara, your work is connected to land a lot, and I guess we can move to this last term now. How do you learn from land and how do you share that knowledge with others? Spending deep time on country, um, building those relationships regenerates our well-being and it regenerates country as well because the more time we spend in peace, surrounded by the incredible beauty of nature, the more we begin to understand what, what we need to do and what the direction is and we're actually shown how to care. Um, it's this beautiful symbiotic relationship and it's just about allowing time and listening to the old, old ways. We have all the knowledge it's just that we don't have the right systems to care and repair. The government has let us down. Um, the environment is in a diabolical state on Kangaroo Island. It's really time to hand that leadership back to the traditional owners and um, show the respect. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's so problematic, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, from where I sit, care is about taking action, its process, its practice and its impact. And, you know, the land is just left to repair and it's struggling. It needs people to, to care for it. My daughter had just turned 11 when she experienced the wildfires and all of the prescribed burning, you know, the, the death and devastation is just immeasurable to think that Kangaroo Island is a stronghold for threatened species. The system then going back to school had no idea, you know, no empathy or understanding how to nurture or support. And the education had no relevance after that for her. So through homeschooling um, for the last year and a half and finding our own community, and there is a vibrant arts community and connecting her with music. So she's writing songs and playing her guitar and telling her story. Um, and that's just been such a powerful healing tool for her. And I think really finding our own communities and working together, that unity is the survival tool. Um, seeing the community operate on an absolute another level um, during the emergency was incredible. And it's a shame that it has to take tragedy to create those amazing systems of operation where we put our values aside and we can all unify and work together to provide food, shelter, support, whatever it may be. 
That's incredible. When thinking about care and care ethics, there's so much that you can read on it. But yeah, I um, when anyone mentions mothers and parenting, I just think about the ultimate care ethics <laughs> that are in play when you're a parent as well. And I think that like, yeah, sharing that knowledge with your children and hoping that, you know, some of it lodges somewhere in there that they go on to share it to, um, yeah, is so absolutely necessary for us to sort of, yeah, to move forward. Ali, I guess finishing off with knowledge, the academic world and, you know, colonised forms of knowledge, decolonization. I mean, it's a really big sort of question, but, like, how do you navigate, like, do you even think decolonizing is possible? Is there a way? Because I, yeah, I'm going to end with that. Yeah, is it possible? Uh, I think anything's possible, but I do think that when we're thinking about it, we need to think about these are relationships. So relationships require work. Um, they're relation, but it's also more than relationships. It's kind of, in, it's from my perspective, it's about deinstitutionalizing ourselves um, in fundamental ways that I think we need to be pushing back on the ways in which particular systems. Uh, so if everyone was engaged in kind of pushing back on the systems that they work within, there would be a kind of a fairly radical shift of those systems. And I feel as though power in general remakes itself. Everyone wants to justify their position in the world and so people who work in particular ways want to continue to justify that work, yes? So, but there needs to be a very critical kind of rethink of everything, you know, that we're, enga- that we're engaged with, right? So, and that has to be joyful as well as very serious. Like we need to be able to... I think art in some ways provides us with this, Henry was talking about it before, the possibility of being vulnerable. It's very rare. You know, children and old people, you know, when you're born and when you die, you're vulnerable. But for a long time there you're expected to act as though we just, we carry on. But I guess like owning that vulnerability and sharing the vulnerability but actually also talking about the fact that not only are we all vulnerable, but the planet is very vulnerable. Our systems of care and love need to be, you know, embedded deeply in an ethics uh, which is not about individualism. It's not about um, a greedy kind of capitalism. It's not about economic growth in the way that we've been looking at societal structures in relation to economics. And this kind of quantification of every, everything has to be quantifiable into a number is genocidal. We know that it's genocidal because we've seen our bodies be enumerated as Aboriginal people. We've seen them measured. We've seen the enumeration of slaves. We've seen the enumeration of our bodies in ways that defy humanity and will defy even life. They defy life. So unless we ground ourselves back in what is what is uh, the life-death life cycle all about, and that is really about the values that we we all share, and we have to be able to bring people with us. 
despite the fact that, um, and that requires love and generosity because you can't go in angry, you can't go in violent, you actually have to bring people with you in loving ways. Mm. And that's, that's me speaking as a mother and an educator because mm. I know if I approach any of that, those roles, which are very hopeful activities, mothering and teaching are very hopeful activities, it's not my right to say to people there is no hope. Of course there's hope, you know, but uh, is there a lot of work to do? Yes, there is. And how will that unfold? We don't know, but we can have joy along the way and we can stand for justice, we can stand together, we can stand for the planet, the earth, the, the animals, the trees, the really old trees that can't speak for themselves, the, the incredible planet that we've been gifted this time on here. You know, I feel as though that, that I, I'm, I'm really, I've got, I work really hard to try in that aim for that kind of a community. This is the community I want so if you want this community, you must participate in it. Something I read the other day said that poisoning is easy, but generosity is a craft. And that in itself, I feel, is like is such a guiding kind of light for me and my work because, yeah, labour can be so invisible, The you know, the the what is it, that old saying of like a duck on the water and the feet sort of paddling yeah. around. But, yeah, labour, yeah, we can't make all of our labour visible but we can make generosity visible and we can make it really tangible and so instant. There's so much in that. And, yeah, Elias and I, we was talking earlier, like the, the first session, maybe it was Henry who was saying, that, you know, we can't find the solution for the biggest of questions, but, you know, we all have a role in, like, each ticking over that cog in that bigger machine and helping it sort of hopefully, yeah, redirect itself in the right the right kind of direction and, yeah, there should be some hopeful optimism in that but yeah there's a lot of um it brings me to like the question of like what are the small actions that you take that sort of pivot that are about either pushing back or you know I think of the documenter that's just closed that Ruang Rupa the Indonesian collective curated and you know they made really strategic numerous small moves that created this like cacophony of noise that really erupted the whole model of that institutional um, presentation. And one of it was um, good schools presentations of like sharing the pot. And so as opposed to individual artist fees going to artists to create individual works, Ruang Rupa and this is an administrator's nightmare. Like I would, I feel so sorry for the team, that the, the very burnt out team that had to work there. But as opposed to individual fees, they were all given pots. And then the collection, the collectives were all, you know, it was about sharing resources and talking to one another and self-organisation and building connections with one another. And I feel, yeah, I feel like what an incredible example of like really sticking it 
to the institutions and to these major um, presentation models, but in small ways that bring about enormous good. And now those collectives I see online are bringing that ethos into their own works in their own countries and, you know, like the right kind of wildfire we need to see. It's spreading <laughs> across. So I guess um, I'm conscious of time, but, yeah, if if we sort of finish up with, like, yeah, what are those small moves that you make that keep you, that keep propelling you forward? Lara, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, well, at the moment researching has been great to find um I guess, friends and a community, um, just to have lots of different voices to connect with or contemplate different stories. So unifying community um, and building relationships on country um, and just time for reflection, collaboration. Um, and I've just joined the board for Landcare South Australia to try and steer Landcare in South Australia to make sure that the voices are heard that need to be heard and that the resources are being put into genuine sustainable solutions rather than this constant band-aid conservation that we keep seeing. Yeah, just spending more time on country and appreciating the wonders of this beautiful world. Elias, what is it for you that keeps you going? I think it's like we, we do need to, you know, keep creating um, opportunities, platforms, because someone like myself, I have so many other people helped me through, you know, um, to get to here sometimes by just having conversations, having, you know, um, some of those amazing artists, which I, when I approach them, they, um, they say, oh, let, let's have a coffee. It, it, I think those small, small gestures means a lot. And so in many ways, they, they give you confidence. They give you, you feel that you're not, you, you're, you're not alone. So, so yeah, so I think what I do, like, it's just in a very, very smaller scale. I, I try to, you know, like, for example, curating small exhibitions and and inviting lots of artists there which um, which to me is the process much more important bringing these artists from different mediums and different backgrounds and that connection there yeah that's like which I wish we do it more often we do it you know what Guildhouse doing especially through the mentorship program is amazing I had the same program where I worked with uh, Khaled Sabsabi in Sydney and actually we are really really connected, uh, connecting uh, since then and and we've been working together um, yeah, they invited me to be part of the collective called Eleven. I think creating opportunities is so so important and and I would say me as a um, as, as a culturally diverse background we feel like we do need more work on, on that on this side and especially giving opportunities to artists and curators and literally trust them, you know, kind of, you know, saying, look, you're a curator and it may not, you may not like showing in so many other big 
galleries and that, but I think the trust is important because it's it's totally different to have an exhibition curated through an eye of uh, someone who himself or herself is, you know, from certain background, than to be saying, oh, I'm going to come and I'm going to literally help you and going to, you know, put you in this exhibition. I w- yeah, what I mean is like that trust is very, very important. Uh, and also I would say, you know, for the for the LGBTQ community, although there's there are you know things being improved for, for the last um, ten years, five years, but it, but there are so many many um, issues which um, which is still um, really important to talk about. Ali, what's what's the driving force for you? Oh, so much. I'm just you know I was thinking about kind of we we talk about it as like this idea of critical love. So basically. It's not just, you know, like being warm and fuzzy. There's actually like if if someone takes the time to like be critical in kind of caring ways, but still we need to kind of get over some of that and actually move forward with listening to each other's concerns. Like I'm really, I'm, I'm very much interested in people saying what they see that needs to change. And then really, and, and but also doing that in joyful ways as well. Like it's like that push and the pull. It's a push and pull. And I feel as though there's no, you know, some of the hard stuff we do need to kind of just get real. I want people to get angry as well. You know, like it, it, this kind of, it's not passivity, you know. So whatever is engaged, whatever engages your consciousness in relation to, uh, this level of care and seeing everyone as your community, the planet, everyone. Who, I see all children as my responsibility to care for them. Any, any children that come past me, I know that I'm a care, I, I will care for people and I want to live in a community that is loving in that way but also requires different kinds of ethical relationships, which I'm still not seeing. There's so much to be, there's so much injustice that we are perpetuating in this country, particularly um, in policing, child protection, you know, the incarceration systems, the ways in which uh, the reparation for Aboriginal communities, there's, we have not received justice. And so at some point there's like the rubber hits the road there. And so there has to be, it's it's more than just gestural. There's actual action. And I see that with the environment. I see that with, you know, with issues around war and um, the way we're going to operate around justice. And I want people to take leadership positions. I want that to happen. So I spend my time encouraging in very loving ways people to take real, brave, voice, vocal, informed decisions about what they're going to do with their time yeah it's about finding those gaps and seeing where you can put yourself and fill that space and make it a platform for someone else who hasn't had the yeah opportunity to voice their concerns and and yeah what they feel is necessary for them this has just been beautiful, like absolutely beautiful. And I feel as if I've learned so much from all of you, but it's also like crystallized so much of my thinking for so many, so many years. I mean, yeah, it's not lost on me, Ali, that 
you were here with Leila Shragi a couple years ago having very similar sort of conversations about advocacy and, you know, they are, yeah, they're important, necessary conversations that we have to keep. We have to keep having. We have to keep, we need to take it out of the abstract form and really give it the connection and the necessary sort of platform that it needs. Yes. And be moved. Yes. Be moved by yes. being alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, the clouds are actually parting. There's like <laughs> glimmers of sunshine out there. So maybe this panel was what, <laughs> with what the weather needed. But again, I want to thank Lara. I want to thank Elias. I want to thank Ali. Thank you for your time. And thank you again to Guildhouse for hosting this event. Thank you for listening to the Revision podcast series recorded on Ghana Country. This series is brought to you by Guildhouse, our supporting partners and session speakers. Please head to our website guildhouse.org.au for more information on the series and our artistic collaborations with and professional development opportunities for Australian artists. Revision was developed with support from Australia Council for the Arts, the Day Family Foundation and Creative Partnerships Australia and has continued through the generous philanthropic support of the Guildhouse Creative Visionaries.